listening to a resource from Jambrew Anglican Church. Loving Father, thank you so much that you are kind, that you do teach us through your word. And as we've just sung, on your word we will rely. And we pray now that you by your spirit would teach us and help us to understand what you're doing in this world and and what that means for us personally and us as a church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in The Three Musketeers, the heroes of the story cry out, one for all and all for one. Apparently, Shakespeare originally came up with that phrase in one of his little poems. And another fun fact, it has become the unofficial motto of Switzerland. There you go. All these things you learn in church. Well, actually, I learned them all via Wikipedia, which, of course, is going to be true and accurate. So... uh... But what has made this little phrase, which I could have quoted in Latin because I found that on the internet as well, uh, what this little phrase has taught us is is this idea of of trying to bring in two kind of clashing things together. Because on the one hand, it talks about one for all. So as the musketeers raise their swords, they're, they're pledging with the one for all that they as individuals will pursue the good of the others. One for all. Each one will be living and fighting for the others. That each one will be working for the welfare of the others. But the individual doesn't just become a drop in the ocean of this sort of corporate world of, of, of just nothingness. Because the second bit of the phrase says, all for one. These three musketeers also pledge that all three of them will pursue the good of the individual. And so the, the group, the society, the body will work for the welfare of the individual. And so we have one for all, and we have all for one. Society and the individual both matter. And society and the individual will both pursue the good of the other. Now, sometimes when we think about how God works in the world, we we tend to have a bit of a preference, uh, maybe for talking about personal growth, our own growth, or or maybe talking about corporate growth. And and sometimes that's more specifically about our church. So we say, oh, well, here we've got individuals growing and we've got our church growing. And both of those things are important. But when we look at the book of Ephesians, this is really important, when we look at the book of Ephesians, when it talks about the church it's usually talking about not the individual Christian nor our church here, but actually talking about the body of Christ, which is the universal church. It's the heavenly church. It's the church that incorporates every single true follower of Jesus throughout all of history. The primary body in all of this is the body of Christ. But as his body grows, so do the parts of the body which is you and which is me. And his body grows as the parts of the body grow. And today we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, and we're going to see a bit of both. We're going to be seeing how the body of Christ is built up. And if you thought the bodybuilding was going to be talking about how, you know, the number of reps or sets or weights or all that kind of stuff, uh, that is not specifically about that. Um, uh, Jacob Mirinoff would like to tell you a little bit about his, his little routine there, the number of reps, number of sets. All that. We're not getting into that. But we are talking about the building of the body of Christ. And as his body is built, so are we who are part of that body. 
And in this, we're going to see the one and the all, the all and the one. So when I read out to you now from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, I want you to see if, have, see if, sort of have a bit of a look out for, for where it's talking about the ones and when it's talking about the alls. Where, where is it talking about the individual and where is it talking about the wider body of Christ? Have a look out for it as I read through it now. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, as I was reading that, did you notice some of the bits that were talking about the individuals? And did you notice some of the bits that were talking more about the group? Well, you could see there were bits like in verse 1, it says, I beg you to lead a life. Verse 4, you have been called. Verse 7, each one of us a special gift. Verse 16, each part of the body. Lots of ones there, individuals. But also there's the corporate The whole church. So verse 3, keep yourselves united. Verse 11, the gifts Christ gave to the church. Verse 12, build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 14, we will no longer be immature. And verse 16, the whole body. What we see in here is the three musketeers. We see the one and for the all. Both of them are working there together. But above all, it's about the body of Christ which is the corporation of true Christians across the ages. So let's have a look at this bodybuilding. How is it that the body of Christ is built? Well, we start with chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go back to that. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. 
for you have been called by God. Uh, yet again, Paul starts by reminding them he's in jail, and we know he's there because he's been telling people about Jesus. And in a sense, he is your model Christian, because if you're going to be following someone who got crucified for what they said, then chances are you're going to have a bit of a bumpy ride as well. And then we see that in the Apostle Paul. But he says here, he urges all of us who follow Jesus to live a life worthy of your calling. The calling. Have you ever heard someone talk about their calling in life? Or I feel like I've been called to this or called to that. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about being called to the ministry or called to be a teacher or called to be a doctor or called to be a lawyer. Uh, uh, as, as Philip Jensen once said, uh, you notice that, that it seems to be God is, is very middle class. It's only it's middle class things you get called to, but not these other things, which is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sort of way of looking at things. But the whole idea of being called to a thing, I, I sense, in, in a sense it works. That's what vocation is. That's the, the Latin, you know, vocal, call, voc, you know, thing. The, that calling idea, that's all right. It's good to feel motivated. I really want to be a person who will change the world by driving ambulances or by by. You know, cutting hair or whatever it is you do in life. That's great. People will often say, you know, I need to have this big calling to become a minister or whatever. That's not what's on show right here. In fact, I sat down with my computer and did one of those nerdy things and just did a search for called in the New Testament. Here's some of the things I came up with. You're called to glory, called out of darkness, called to live a holy life, called to peace, called to be free, called by his grace. Uh, these are the things that God says I call. And the, most of all, Jesus says he calls out. He says, come follow me, as he did to the disciples. That is our calling. That is the calling of the Christian, to follow Jesus. And now what Paul says is you've got to live out a life that is worthy of that calling because Jesus has said come follow me and so what do you do and right at this point we have the very hinge at the middle of Ephesians because the first three chapters have all really been about that calling about what God has done for us and, and why it is that by grace we have been saved and so on and now we move from the what he's done for us to what it is that we should now do. We move from the done to the do, for the, from the for us to the in us, or if you're a bit nerdy, from the indicative to the imperative. Uh, you see this switch from one to the other. And today we are right at that turning point as we go from chapters 1 to 3, as we switch across to chapters 4, 5 and 6. Because way back in chapter 2, verse 10, we were, we were told that God had prepared in advance for us to do good things. Or, or literally, you see, it says that he prepares that we might walk in the good works that he's prepared in advance. That, that's the more literal translation. There's actually a walking kind of idea back in chapter 2, verse 10. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 1, which is where we're here. It literally says that you would walk in the calling. It's a, it's a, I, I can see why our translations say, well, it sounds a bit weird to talk walk. It's about doing. But there's that idea of walking in that way that makes sense. Uh, if you really want to be nerdy, the Greek word is peripateo, from which we get peripatetic. So my wife is a peripatetic music teacher. So she teaches people how to kind of walk in the cello, sort of walk in the ways, which is a, a daily process of hands-on. That's what we're looking at now as we jump from chapter 4, 5, and 6. And how does it look? Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. 
Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It gets really practical very quickly and it's going to hang around in that practical world in the chapters that follow. But it starts off by saying, always be humble. What does humble look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like arrogant. It doesn't look like being proud. It doesn't look about all about me. That's what humble looks like. And then we see it says that we should be gentle. What does gentle look like? Well, I think we know what gentle doesn't look like, don't we? When someone's harsh, when someone's rude, when someone snaps, when someone's unkind... This is what it looks like to walk in our calling. We see also we should be patient, not short-tempered, not impatient, not snapping with each other, not not having that kind of, do it now. That's, That's not what we are supposed to look like as we walk in the way of our worthy calling. And there's another phrase here. It says, making allowance for each other's faults. Uh, it's kind of like it's, it's putting up with each other. It's, it's a bit like when you go out on a hike and you realise that some people are, have got much more energy than others and they really find it easy to walk right at the front of the group. And then you've got the others who always go slowly at the back. And naturally, if it's a really sloppy kind of group, then the people at the front say, oh, well, stuff you guys. We're going to race forward and we'll get home and we can put our feet up and have our Mars bars. And everybody else at the back is sort of like, oh, and then they see people racing away and they're feeling demoralised. That's not the way in which you live a life in worthy of the calling of God. You, you say to the people at the back, why don't you come up to the front? And, oh, okay, they've got a bit of spring in their step. Or when they're not looking, why don't you open up their pack and take some of the heavy stuff out and stick it in your pack? All of these things are real-life stories. I can tell you about them. <laughs> that is what the Christian life is like. Humble, gentle, patient, making allowance for each other's. Why? In love. Because of your love. Love is what has got us to this point where we are living a life, where we are, we're, we're, we've got the calling. And now love is the thing that will keep us going. Love is the motivation and love is the means. Both of those together. We are loved. And so we should love. That is the name of the game. And what happens from that love, that love that leads us to be humble, gentle, patient and accommodating? Well, it flows to verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. See, when we're humble, gentle, patient and accommodating, it's natural that we will then be unified. And see here what it says at the start of this verse, make every effort. Oh, I can tell you the original language has a really strong word. It's like top of the list. Really put your shoulder into this. Get this happening. This is vital that you keep yourselves united in the spirit. It's vital to be united in the spirit. But it's not just any kind of unity. Did you see that there? It said united in the spirit. It's not just being united. It needs to be in the spirit. And I think a simple way to to understand this is that united in the spirit means united in the mission of God, united in the cause of God. 
It's not just about us saying, let's do everything to make everybody happy all the time. And the goal is unity. Well, the goal is actually unity in the spirit. But how good is it when you've got a whole group of people where everybody is focused on the same outcome and everybody is just getting into it and getting that vibe and that energy and you're about to go on an excursion or, a, or you know, this kind of this, this trip and whatever it is and everybody's in it together and you've got this mission and you're running this event or whatever it is or you're about to go onto the sporting field and everybody's just wants to thump the opposition. Everybody's in it together and you've got that great vibe and you, it's like all for one and one for all, hey, and away you go. And in the church life, in the Christian life, Psalm 33 talks straight about it. It says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It's like dripping oil down your beard, whatever that means. But, but it's, it's this idea of, of being together is just so good. So good. And it's something we want to keep striving towards in our community here because it's what we want to be doing as a body of Christ, as the body of Christ. And with that in mind, I wonder if you ever stop to think, we, we in Jamboree are not a huge, big metropolis. But if you look around, there are actually four ch- Christian churches in the little village of Jamboree. One of them has been sold off to a software company, but that's another story. Uh, then you've got three others left. And then you've got Uniting, and you've got the Catholic, and you've got the Anglican. And you think, well... Why is it that we can't just have one church? Why is it that we'd have the, the Presbyterians, the Unitings, and the Catholics and the Anglicans, and, and you know, even from time to time someone will say, well, we're going to plant a church in the Scout Hall or something like that. Well, knock yourself out. Go for it. Well, why do we have all these different churches and all this sort of stuff? Why do we not operate in unity? I mean, why would there be these, these break-off groups as Christians? I mean, Christians just seem to keep wanting to break off and do different things. I mean, I'm part of a breakaway organisation called GAFCON, where we sort of weren't really happy with the way that the, the Archbishop of Canterbury and all these cronies were going. And so we said, no, we're going to start up this new Anglican communion kind of thing because, well, we, we want to break away. It's like, uh, did you miss the memo? It's all about being united, one church. Let's just... You know, we can cram all the Catholics and uniting and the Prezies and anybody what, whatever's into the one. Why don't we do that? And the reason is we need to be unified in the truth. The truth is vital in our unity. Now, I'm not saying that everything the Presbyterians or the, or the, the United Church or whatever stand for is completely different to us. I mean, there's a very long conversation for another day and there's, there's reasons why denominations are there and so on. But the bottom line is that if we are going to be unified in the truth, we're actually going to need to disagree with each other from time to time. We're going to need to have conflict in order to be united in the spirit. Conflict is okay. Sometimes you think conflict's a bad thing. Conflict's never easy. I don't love conflict at all. But I know conflict is so good that I will grip my teeth and say, let's do it. Everybody, say what you're thinking. Say what you're thinking about this and about that and so on. And I've, I've said it. I've said it to the, our parish council. You know, we'll get together from time to time and things will just say, sail through. We'll tick every box. This other time, it'll be kind of like you can hear the brakes the wheels lock up and then we stop and we disagree with stuff. And it's like, oh, hang on, no, 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 we've got to be united all the time. 
No, we've actually got to disagree. We've got to have conflict. If there's something about what do you do this here or there or whatever, you know. Uh, last Wednesday morning, Manny and I went out for a lovely breakfast together, and then and then it's kind of like we're having conflict. What are we having conflict over? We're having a couple of days away, and next week it's like, well, I want to go here, I want to go there. Or don't you want to go there? No, no, why? Ah, it's like uh, uh, uh. we'll be fine. We we decided we'd book nothing, and we'll we'll just we'll just start driving somewhere. It's okay. It's not like our marriage is falling apart because we've got conflict. Conflict's normal. And it's good when you're trying to work out what the truth is, which is the truth is where I... No, no, no. no. (laughs) Conflict's okay. But we need to be united in the spirit as we are humble, as we are patient, as we are accommodating, all those things. That's pretty normal. That's creative conflict. And we will, as we have conflict, even as our church grows, I mentioned this the other day, we're going to be, some people will be saying, oh, let's all go here. Woohoo! And others say, no, 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 let's go there. No, over here, there. And, and why are we caring? It's because we care about the mission of the church. And so that's okay. That's creative conflict. That's love in community. But how do we pursue unity? Verse 4. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. One body, one spirit. There's not multiple bodies of Christ. There's the one body of Christ. There's the one Holy Spirit. And because of the one body and one spirit, we have the one glorious hope for the future. Hope. This is where it is. There is only one body of Christ. And it goes on, verse 5 and 6, like a little creed sort of thing. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. One, 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 one. So since there's one, 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 don't do two. Do the unity. That's what we're on about. So you're all one, so be one. And that's the flow there. But now we're going to switch from sort of a one 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 to a bit more of a, well diversity within this unity. Verse seven. However, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Literally, he's given us a grace. He's given us each one through this generosity of Christ something that he's given us to serve the body. It's a personal thing. It's what you've got is different to me. And you might have a few of those ones. I might have a few of these. There might be some overlap. Uh, we, we see it in different, different places in, in the Bible, a bit more than this even more. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's that really famous bit that says, in the body of Christ, some of us are eyes, some of us are mouths, some of us are hands, some of us are feet. And what a weird body it would be if just every part was a hand, uh, every part was a, an eye. It wouldn't work. You need all the different bits together. It's a beautiful analogy there. We're getting a little bit of that here as well, although not quite with the same depth of stuff. But the point is that there is differences within the unity. There are differences within that unity, and that's okay. You know, on a on a on a sporting team, not everybody plays the same position. Not everybody's in the goal square. You know, not everybody's running around chasing the ball unless they're five years old, in which case it's That's not the way it's supposed to be for us. <laughs> You're the goalie. Yeah, but I just want to run. No, go back. You've all been there. There are differences within the unity. But this diversity actually builds the body. But that's not all. Verse 8. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, 
He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. This is the gifts thing. Can you see there's a gift, there's a gift, there's a gift, and we're going to see this word gift popping through this passage. Paul has quoted from Psalm 68, and I've got lots and lots of pages of commentaries sitting on my desk that all are sort of having a bit of a discussion about what exactly this is meaning. At the end, we don't need to worry about it too much. But the idea is that let's say that the, the really bad, bad people from Albion Park come over the hill and want to take over Jamboree, right? And they come on in and then the Albion Park people win and they grab all of the leaders of Jamboree, you know, the, the head of the CWA and the guy who runs the pub and, and run. And all together, there's probably someone from our church there, chains us up and marches us along the main street. You know, there we are down at Lowry Street being marched along by the person who's running Albion Park, the king of Albion Park. It's kind of like that, that, that Jesus comes and he is the one who takes captive these key people and gives gifts to his people. What's it all talking about? Who are the slaves and what are they... Well, as you dig deeper into this, it seems that it's like God is saying, I've grabbed these key people for my mission and I'm giving them to the community. And they are, in fact, those who are leaders within the church, the speakers of God's word. We'll come back to that a bit more in the moment. And the, e- the, the issue here and the thing to note is that some people have key roles in the church. Some people have key roles in the church. All people are of, are of equal value to God, absolutely. But some people have roles that are key to the core growth of the church. Uh, that's why there's only a, a group of these captives, not, not every single person. But before we find out a bit more about them and what it is in particular that they do and so on, Paul kind of wants to have a little bit of an aside, which is sort of an aside to the argument, but it's worth noting. He says in verses 9 and 10, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. It, it's kind of the, ascend, the descending that Jesus actually came down, got his hands dirty, lived amongst us, died for us, and then it rose and ascended, and he's still present by his spirit. We are raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realm, but we're still down here. So is he as his body. I think it's all that kind of ascended, descended stuff, which basically means that God is with us. We're not alone. He's still in the action. I think that's what that basically means. Anyway, now we get back to the main, main, main thrust. These are the gifts. We talked about gifts. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. These are the gifts. What do you notice about all of these people who have been given what do we know? They're all word speakers. They speak God's word. There's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. People who speak God's word. They are the gifts that God has given the church. 
So let's imagine we're sitting here and then we suddenly get this knock at the door at the front and someone says, I've got a delivery! Okay, and they, they back up the, this big, big truck and they, they bring in this huge big box that's covered in wrapping paper and a giant bow. And it, we look at the side and the card and it says, to the church. We think, oh, we've got a present. We rattle it a bit and then we open it up and rip the paper off and we look. And what pops out? People. And what are these people doing? They're speaking. They are the gifts that God has given to his church. They are the gifts that God has given us because they are the things that will make his church grow. You see, that is how Jesus is building his church. It's by God's word. Someone who doesn't know Jesus yet hears about how amazing it is to follow him and how he gives hope and forgiveness of sin and heaven instead of hell and all the good bits. And they say, sign me up. I want to follow Jesus. That's the best news I've ever heard. And when that happens, kind of like the body of Christ gets a bit bigger. It's kind of like the building of the body. They add on an extra room. It's an extension sort of thing. But at the same time, as the word is going out, people who are already friends with Jesus will say, well, I think I need to be more humble. I think I need to to be more accommodating of those who are falling behind. I, I need to be more loving. And what happens is they individually, I individually, you individually, become more mature. We grow up a bit. We build a bit stronger and a bit more resilient and all these things. And therefore... It's sort of a bit like renovating the kitchen or the bathroom. We make it a nicer, not bigger, but better. This is all the way in which the body of Christ is built. It's built up and it's built out. It's all built. And how is it happening? Speaking. And in particular, speaking God's word. That's why we need word speakers. And it's because that is how God's word builds things. These word speakers have this responsibility in verse 12 to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That is their job. Now, I've read something this week that I hadn't actually read in my studies of Ephesians before, which I thought was quite interesting. The argument was that what is being talked about in Hebrews, sorry, in, in, in um, Ephesians verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter for it, that, that bit we just looked at then is actually kind of like talking about the book of Acts. Interesting theory. It's the apostles, it's the prophets, the, it's those that God gave at that particular time so that we, verse 12, would be equipped to do the work in the future. And I'm still sort of scratching my head because that's a new idea and I sort of kind of like that in a sense. But whether it's just talking about the then or talking about the now, the bottom line is that those who speak God's word equip all of God's people, literally the saints all of us to do his work and that is because God's word builds the body of Christ God's word builds the body of Christ that's how he does it and it keeps going and going and going verse 13 this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ We keep learning and growing and learning and growing and learning and growing until we reach unity. Unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. What is it that brings us unity? It's God's word. It's the mission of God. It's the, it's the marching orders. It's who God is. It's how we know him. It's how he works. It's what he's done for us. 
if, if we feel like we're perhaps a little bit disunified, what do we need to do? We need to open up God's word. And we need to humbly listen to God's word. Because as we learn and live God's word, we will be closer to unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. And we see, therefore, that Christian maturity is the ultimate goal. That is what we're working towards. We're wanting to grow up. We're wanting, you know, it, it's, it's like that with, when you see kids. It's, it's all about the milestones. It's like, when will they start walking? And suddenly they walk, ah, oh, nine months, 12 months. Yes, next milestone, next milestone, next milestone, next milestone. And then they move out of home. And you think, well, that happened pretty quickly, didn't it? But that's okay. That's what it's about. Uh, we, as God's people, the body of Christ, we're on about growing up, maturing. That's what it's all about. And it all comes from God's word. Now, I've got to say, it can be very tempting for us to be focusing on showing love without speaking love. I think a lot of Christian organizations have got wobbly in this way because they say, we want to be on about the love of God. Yes. And so what do they do? They do loving things, but they don't speak about God's love. You know, I, I love serving with the RFS, you all know that, and I love developing relationships with the brigade and all those sorts of things. But even if I put out a fire really, really well and do all that stuff, the end of the day, the, the way in which I can show love that really lasts is when I happen to talk to someone as we're driving back to the station after a fire call about why it is that it's great to be a friend of Jesus. You know, that's the most loving thing. Uh, we, we, we have uh, missionary doctors around the world who, who will say, I am a doctor right? I, and I'm going to go and serve in a country far, far away and I'm going to do kind acts by healing people who, who have gone throughout all of their life with a condition that has never been able to be fixed. That is a beautiful, loving thing. But if they never, ever said a thing, then at the end of the day, they're just a really, really nice person. And that is why it's so wonderful to have missionary doctors in CMS and other organisations that actually say, we're on about speaking God's word, but we're using this as a platform to talk. Um, likewise, welfare organisations that go around and say, we just want to show love to our community by, by helping people get out of the hole of their life. What a wonderful thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But if we don't say to them, you know... Jesus loves you and you need to come to Christ. You need to know his forgiveness. You need to believe in him and you'll be saved. At the end of the day, we're just nice people. And nice people, isn't that's not going to fix the problems of this world. We need to be people who build the body of Christ by speaking. That's why I love being in partnership with Anglicare. Because they are just so hardcore about talking about Jesus. And they use... The welfare side, the aged care side, all these other things to be able to use that as a platform to talk about Jesus. But there's another important benefit to speaking God's word to each other, verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. Uh, the other night, I, I thought the roof was going to blow off our house. You probably had a similar experience in your place. Uh, fortunately, the, whoever put it together did a reasonable job. It's stuck together. I think the bin might have fallen over and stuff. But when the wind blows, it's often the blowing of wind, to use this metaphor here, it's the blowing of false teaching that will come to the church. 
It's, it's the kind of false teaching that's, that's not just a, a little bit of a, oh, that's interesting, but it's the, it's the kind of false teaching that will really blow us over. But ironically, it will seem, it will sound like the truth. It'll just be so close to the truth. It is vital that we recognise false teaching. It's vital in the church. You know, I, to be trained to be doing this role to serve you, uh, I went along to Moore Theological College for four years, and it was a really hard degree, I've got to say. Uh, it helped me to be able to teach God's Word, and I'm so thankful for that. But do you know what was most important of all? It was the ability to recognise false teaching. I must think that's a pretty negative thing. Actually, it's really positive. I'd read these books. I've got some of the books on my shelf. If you borrow them, you think, does Jody really believe all this stuff? Well, no, I've, there's some stuff there that's, that's a bit... Woo. But we, it's, we read it and we understand it because we want to spot false truths. And my job under God is to help protect you guys by saying that's a false truth. Stay away from it or we're not going to do that or we're not going to be involved with that because it's going to be so subtle. It is vital that we recognise false teaching and it's vital that you listen to me and talk to others about what I say as well because false teaching is like a, 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 a disease. We've got to make sure that we don't have amongst us. But other than just protecting us from a negative, we can move forward in a positive way. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We need to be people who speak the truth, but speak it in love. This is so important. Uh, you don't want to have somebody who's just that know-it-all, like, oh, you got it wrong, you got it wrong, or oh, that's wrong, that's wrong. They're, they're not nice people to be around. But what you really do is you love it when a close friend says to you, look... I love you dearly, but I think that's unwise. And you've got to not do that anymore. That's what we need to be doing to each other, speaking the truth in love. Not to push others down so we can look better, but, but it, it's actually to go down and lift up others with us, speaking the truth in love, even when it's painful. And as we do so, here's our final verse. The whole body will fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That is what we are aiming for. Because ultimately, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one who makes us fit together and work together. And as we're all different bits of the body, we are still one. And we are held together by the one who is our head. One for all and all for one. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we are so thankful that you've given us the truth. And we thank you that that truth is a person, Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead. And that because he has ascended to high and rules with you, that we know that his body is what we are. We are his body. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would understand what it means to be part of his body, to love one another, to be patient, to be humble, to be accommodating with each other. We pray, Father, you'd give us unity so that we would be one as we are one, but that we would have unity that is in the truth and that we would speak the truth in love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this resource from Jamaroo Anglican Church. For more information, head to jamaroanglican.com.